0: The Lax Factor podcast. What is up college lacrosse fans? You're watching episode number 164 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse podcast and today we are going to preview the final four for Division 1 and we're going to preview the finals for Division 2 and for Division 3. Before I get into all of it, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share the crap out of this video. The main thing we ask like and subscribe that helps us out a great deal sharing it will help too and if you get bored beyond that and want to support us you can go to laxfactor.com and get yourself some swag we thank everybody for the flood of uh, apparel orders that we've gotten here over the last couple of weeks so let's dive into this here it is a season where the rich got richer and nothing proves that more than the fact that all four teams now waiting to play this memorial day weekend have won a title over the course of the last six or seven years, since 2014, we have the top four seeds in the tournament. All four teams have championship experience. None of them are four. This isn't a foreign landscape to any of them. Two of the four were in the last Final Four in 2019, and one of those four won that title. UVA, Duke was the other team that was in the Final Four in, in 2014. Actually, they were in. The, I think they were in the finals together in uh, uh, 2019. No, they weren't. I don't know. Who knows? Nobody, nobody knows. Um, since 1986, the one seed has beaten the two seed in the finals only once. And in the last 15 years, all four of the top seeds have only advanced to the final four together twice. So this is this is a rare occurrence over the course of the last 15 years that we end up with all, to, all the top four seeds in here with a good chance that one plays two in the finals. At a time where there was building up to this season, there was more parity in college across than ever before. This was the year where parity kind of took a back seat and was erased, uh, because it's been the year of the blue bloods for the most part, because of COVID and the transfers and the graduate transfers and all of that crap. the The rich got richer, and you know it's not that it's not that other teams took a step back. It's just when you're Duke and you're already pretty good, and then you add. Adler and Sowers to your roster or when you're Notre Dame and you weren't actually, you were probably the, the the fifth team in the ACC coming into 2021. And then they pick up the transfers that they picked up between Thornton and uh, um, the Bucknell transfer there uh, that uh, I'm drawing a blank here off the top of my head, but like either way. And then Gallagher, you know, they end York. York is the Bucknell. I mean, Notre Dame went from being the worst team in the ACC in terms of total roster depth to being you Know the third best team in the ACC or the fourth best team in the ACC, depending on how you pit them against Virginia. Um, and and it, you just saw the whole ACC get into the NCAA tournament, top two Big Ten teams get into the NCAA tournament. The Rutgers in their emergence, thanks to stealing the cursed brothers, one from Villanova, one from Lehigh, the rich got richer. That is the moral of the story. For those that were feeding off the Blue Bloods, dropping games to mid-majors and you know, all the upsets we saw the years prior where Richmond and high points and other teams were upsetting Blue Bloods. I don't count Army. You know Army beat Syracuse. I don't count that as an upset. But then like Colgate, uh, I think, dropped Syracuse in the Dome within the last couple of years. So you saw a lot of upsets. You saw a lot more parity. You saw a lot more small to mid-level uh, teams beating the Blue Bloods, uh, you know, depending on the day, the matchup, often it was during the week. That that went away. Sure, in the ACC, I think the ACC, um, up until the point that Notre Dame lost to Maryland, the ACC all year in like 38 tries only lost one non-conference game, and that was Syracuse losing to Army. So it's crazy, and that hasn't happened in a while either. So you know, it's just COVID nuked the whole parody thing. COVID nuked the gulf that was, you know, starting to be erased between the two teams. And then, you know, the Blue Bloods reign supreme due to eating all the studs in the transfer portal. And that's not going to change. Notre Dame, who was just eliminated by Maryland last weekend, it's already been announced. They've already picked up two transfers uh, from the transfer portal, grad students that are going to you know, hop on that team and contribute pretty much right away. So Notre Dame is already reloading in the transfer portal. Lock and load. It's not going to be a thing for the next few seasons. For the big dogs, it's lock and reload, and it takes on a whole different meaning here with these guys getting that fifth year to play and then them all choosing some of the best schools in the country, Virginia, Duke, Notre Dame. And then, in terms of just picking lacrosse schools, you know, from there they can do that as well. So that's not going to stop. I digress. First game on uh, Saturday is going to pit number four, the number four seed Virginia against the number one seed UNC, UVA versus UNC. These teams have already met twice. The first time around, UNC got the W. And the second time around, the Cavs surprised the Heels. Uh, by beating them it was actually the Tar Heels second loss in in consecutive games which you know at one point it was like ooh man is this going to be kind of the downfall here of North Carolina is this going it, it was North Carolina overhyped and now that they're in their ACC play are they going to start dropping games <clears throat> turned out they were okay but they did lose those two to duke and virginia back to back in that first game that that Virginia lost to North Carolina, Matt Moore took fifteen shots and came away with only two goals and two assists. And I've said at times, Matt Moore's volume shooting, you're gonna live or die by it. And in that game, Virginia died by it. You know, fifteen shots and two goals, that is too many. And uh and then combine Matt Moore with Charlie Bertrand in that game, they took 23 shots combined and you only came away with three goals from that. That hurt them. Now, to be fair, you got to credit Colin Krieg, the freshman netminder for UNC. He had 20 saves in that game. So, I mean, you got to credit him with, with kind of stuffing those guys a little bit, but Matt Moore, you know, some of his shot selections, the dude is an aggressive dodger, a la Michael Krause, his former teammate. He dodges tough and he tries to take shots contested or no, you know, and he gets them off problem being oftentimes they don't go in far more often than not. They don't go in His shooting percentage below, well, well below 30% overall in the season. So in that first game, Krieg stood on his head, Matt Moore and Charlie Bertrand took too many shots, scored too few goals. UNC wins, and UNC's all there. I'm not going into Gray and Anderson and all those who who did what. I mean, they they handled their business and they won that game in the second meeting. Moore was slightly better, two goals off eleven shots, still not great, but better than two goals off fifteen shots. And then in that game, Ian Laviano worked himself back into the starting lineup. Their flow was better, and that was actually a big turning point for for Virginia in terms of just how they played offensively and their overall consistency. And LaViana La goes for four and four goals and two helpers in that game. Uh, the Cavs' offense was much better overall in that game, and they beat UNC. Krieg was human in that game; he didn't have twenty saves. He only had fifteen. And Petey fucking Lasala was not human in that game. He won sixty-eight percent of the draws and put up a goal and an assist. And and no, Lasala played almost that well in their first meeting that they lost. But in that second meeting, with, with Krieg not standing on his head, those extra possessions that Lasalle won were the, you know, the, the the turning point in that game and what UVA needed to win it. So, they're one and one against each other this year. So these, these are two team, a team, It's the third meeting here. They're going to meet each other for the third time in the finals. That's not that's not uncommon. Sorry, my nose is itching. That's not uncommon for an ACC team. Now against Bryant, UVA looked susceptible. Against Georgetown. UVA looked scary and good in every area of play. More, more worrisome for UNC is how UVA's defense looked, I think, against Georgetown. They were flying all over the field against the Hoyas. They disrupted every look. They didn't get beat by Dodgers or Cutters, and offensively, they were dominant against what was billed as one of the best defenses in the country. I think it was one of the best defenses in the country, and from a matchup perspective, they had zero answers for UVA. UVA was just off the charts good in that game. And I don't know how that would pan out if they played each other multiple times. I mean, if they played again, I do not think UVA would probably kick Georgetown's dicks in the way they did this time around. But you know, you never know. So, how does this play in the UNC? You know, with how, how does how UVA played against Georgetown play into UNC? I'm not sure. I mean, these teams match up pretty well against each other. They know each other really well with Chris Gray in the field. You know, UNC can erupt at any moment. Krieg and Bowen leading the defense. They could come in and play much better defense overall against UVA than Georgetown did. They've already done that twice. They played better defense against UVA than Georgetown did. Or at least they they were able to give up as many goals while also putting up some goals themselves, at least. They were able to answer, let's say. So anything can happen. I do have to, you know, like... What UNC has to hope, though, is that Krieg once again can play antidote to UVA's white hotness, and that's, that's what it's going to come down to. Can Krieg stand on his head again? Because more than likely, UNC is going to get beat at the faceoff dot, so the possessions are going to favor UVA. Both teams clear and ride well, so that's going to be a chaotic hot mess, which is going to be awesome for all of us to watch. These teams just ride the living shit out of each other all up and down the field. So I do have to make a prediction, and I'm not enjoying this, but what I'm going to go with here is the hot hand in Petey fucking LaSala. I believe that Road could potentially come out and, and step up and play really big. He's the goalie with the championship experience over the freshman. Um, so they're, they're one and one. These guys are split. UVA won the last one. I'm going to, and there hasn't been really any, any upsets in this tournament to speak of, not that have been real big upsets, so I'm going to go with UVA in this one. And it pains me because I don't know and I don't even know if it's a 50-50 flip. I'd say that UNC is probably the favorite in this one overall. And uh and that maybe I'm just, you know, picking picking stupid, but I'm going to pick UVA to beat North Carolina in this game. I think their experience, I think that they're they just I don't know. They're fun to watch, not that North North Carolina isn't, but there's something about the way UVA plays that I've enjoyed this year. So I'm going to pick them in this one over North Carolina. Let's move on to the next game. Number 3 Maryland against number 2 Duke. Now we've heard the ACC versus Big 10 comparisons all year. We're finally going to get to see it with our own eyes Saturday. Duke versus Maryland, it gets no more blue than this uh, other than the fact that the Terps wear red. Uh, Duke led by Michael Sowers, the fifth year grad transfer, uber quick and twitchy and hungry for his first taste of championship weekend. This is his first taste of tournament three weeks. Uh, so to, to, for him to be able to play in championship weekend, now, you know, he's chomping at the bit to just tear people up. And will we see the Mike Sowers that came out and put up, you know, eight points in the first half, just about against uh high point in the first round. Uh, And then there's Maryland, led by Jaron Bernhardt, the most aggressive offensive pimp left standing. He's never met a defender that he didn't greatly enjoy emasculating. The dude is a savage, dodger, can do everything, but in terms of goal-scoring threats, he's the big cat here. These teams match up well. It is really tough. If you go through unit by unit, that's what I'm going to do here, because it's the only way that I can kind of even come to a point where I can make a prediction that doesn't make me feel stupid, and I'm going to get chirped either way, so here we go. On offense, I call it a wash. Bernhardt is the most capable scorer on the field, while Sowers is the most capable facilitator. Both attack units, though, go three players deep. Duke with Robertson, the veteran with ice in his veins. Dude scored multiple game winners uh, over the course of this season. I think three OT goals or at least three game-winning goals, I think. Uh, and and if it goes down to OT again, Maryland's going to have to be careful watching Robertson because the dude dodges aggressively at the end of games. And that's really smart too, because uh, I've heard talked about, and it, it's the truth, at the end of a game, Nobody wants to slide. Nobody wants to be the guy that leaves their man and slides too soon, giving up an easy goal on a feed. So people tend to stay home a little bit longer in overtime, and that rewards a dodger who's aggressive. Because if you know that they're only going to show the slide, but they're not actually going to come, that gives you two steps that you normally don't have to get to the rack. And that's what Robertson, where Robertson's excelled. He's excelled at taking advantage of those situations where the defenses are hesitant, hesitant to slide. And that just shows his wily vet nature. So they both go three deep. Um, you got Robertson, and then you have O'Neal, the freshman phenom for Duke, who's a you know kind of off-ball goal-scoring threat, but the kid can dodge and carry and everything as well. Maryland. Has Wisnowskis to answer O'Neill. And and Wisnowskis is kind of the answer to Robertson and O'Neill. He'll dodge and be aggressive uncharacteristically. Robertson's not known as a dodging attackman, but when Duke has needed that out of him, he's been more than capable. Wisnowskis is like that. He's kind of a Robertson in terms of his veteran nature and his intelligence and his ability to dodge if pushed to do so, but he's also a great off-ball threat, lefty off-ball threat, nonetheless, like O'Neill. so he's kind of the best of both worlds there, and then Maltz, you know, you got Maltz, probably the weakest of the six starting attackmen between these teams, which that's a total not proper way to word that, because the dude's got 38 goals in 2021, so, you know, I'm sure he's happy being considered the weakest of these six, because he's still one of the best off-ball attackmen in the country, not too bad for him, and then the midfield units for both teams, another wash, both teams have insane first lines. Both teams give zero fucks about running their twos. But both of these teams will go six mids deep. Both of these teams will give the runs to the mids that have the hot hand, so they will not favor their their first midfield line if the twos are playing well down the stretch. They will play these guys indiscriminately, and 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 both of these team both of these teams could even start dipping in to their their third midline if they wanted to. So offensively, this is a wash, a wash, a wash, a wash. Defensively, it's similar. Maryland they boast two of, they boast two of the best close defenders in the country and Nick Grail, Brett Maycar, but it goes all the way down three really good close D, uh, uh, excellent LSMs. You know, all the way down the line, Maryland is solid in defense. But so is Duke. Jt Giles, Harris, and Kenny Brower have been two of the best close defenders of the year, throw in Carpenter, who's gotten some time at LSM and time at close D. Uh, So both teams from a defensive perspective are solid at close and LSM. And then both teams have very good um, short stick D mid units. Uh, Duke, Terry lindsay has been very underrated as just as a short stick D mid, one of the best in the country. And everyone's familiar with Maryland's Roman Pugliese and his body of work for the Terps. Wash, 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 wash. It's all all very even through those rosters up to this point here. Now here, there's only two places where I think Duke is is probably better than Maryland. It's hard to tell because they haven't faced each other and they haven't faced like opponents, but in cage, I think Mike Adler has, has been, a, it's not even, I think he's been more consistent overall than Logan Mcnaney has been for Maryland. McNaney comes into this game with a 51% save percentage, and he's only topped 50% or more uh, of the shots that he's faced over his last five games one time. He's been below 45% in both tournament games so far. And, and granted, you could make the argument he's played the tougher team so far in the tournament as well, which I'd say that's pretty fair. pretty fair to say. So that might play into that. Adler he comes in at 54% overall, above 50% twice over his last 5 games, and so far in this tournament he topped he stopped 58% of his shots against High Point and 48% against Loyola. So he's he's played a little bit better so far this tournament at least on paper. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I'd say I'd give a slight edge to Duke for that. Only a slight edge because McNaney can surprise and stand tall. McNaney's capable of coming in and stopping 20 shots against Duke and shutting me the hell up. So I'm going to say that Duke has the slight edge in cage. I think that's a fair assessment. And I think most would agree with that, but McNaney's very capable. Uh, the biggest advantage for Duke though, face-off X. Jake Naso, he's been incredible. Uh, he's a freshman. Does that hurt him in the tournament here in the semifinals against a Maryland team that that, that doesn't have the greatest faceoff unit, but they have very capable wings and short stick D mid play? Um, Naso's sitting at 64% this season in terms of draws one. He won 73% against high point in round one of the tournament and 64% against Loyola. Naso has been a huge part of why Duke is still playing right now, especially in that game against Loyola where they needed every possession they could possibly muster to pull that win out. Maryland's been streaky at the dot at best. They win less than 50% overall. Shockey's the better statistically between him and... um, uh, What's the other guy's name? Not where I'm... uh, I'm drawing a blank here for some reason. But anyway, Shockey's slightly better, and the Maryland wings are capable of mixing up. But you you have to say Duke has the edge in this game. Their only hope is that Shockey plays like a veteran, and those wings help to even things up. But if it's just left to draws alone, Naso's probably taking the day there for Duke uh, in this one. Now... We get down to prediction time here. Um, I I'm going to say because I think this game is so evenly matched, these teams are so evenly matched overall that I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say I think that Duke's going to win, and I'm not trying to do this because I'm an ACC guy. I'm not really an ACC guy. I'm a Cuse guy. Um, I'm saying this partly just because these are two very evenly matched teams. Duke has been slightly more battle tested than Maryland, only slightly, maybe a little bit more than slightly. And, um, and I, and when you look down the matchups, it's like, man, Duke matches up well with them. It's, it's actually Maryland that has a couple of the matchup problems overall that they have to deal with. So I'm just going with the numbers here. I think that Duke is the favorite just based on seed. Uh, I think that when you really compare the units, I think that Maryland probably has the most explosive player in Jared Bernhardt, but that's partly only because he's the most aggressive player on the field. To pretend that Sowers couldn't put up Bernhardt numbers if he just decided, I'm going to go to the rack as often as Bernhardt does, I I think he could. The kicker with Bernhardt has been his efficiency. So if Bernhardt can be Bernhardt, and it doesn't matter who's guarding him, if he can prove in this game that he's the best player on the field in the sense that, at least in matchups, like I'm going to take my dude and I'm going to make him feel a little bit less like a man on this day, then, you know, then that's going to maybe erase some of the uh the advantages that duke has at the face off dot and at the um at the what do you call it uh in in cage but uh then maryland also you know they 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 don't i don't know i don't know i i'm going to stop trying to rationalize my decision i'm just going to say i think duke's going to win i am not picking margins i think that both of these games more than likely are going to come down to the final minute uh i think that they could both end up being one goal games they could both end up being overtime as we've seen three overtime games in the quarterfinal round so I'm going to pick Duke in a close one, and I'm picking UVA in a close one. And I think we have a Duke-UVA finals, which is pretty crazy, pretty crazy. So I, I do think we're going to get an all-ACC finals up, up, all up in here. Uh, let's just jump to D2 here. Before we bail on this, we'll do some D2-D3. We've got LeMoyne playing Lenore Rhine, although I still think it should be Lenoir Rhine, because that sounds cooler. And I know that the, the hype machine surrounding Lenore Rhine is serious. But here is the problem I have with Lenore Ryan. They score goals. They run and gun. Uh, they they came down from, I think they were down 7-1 to Tampa at one point in the quarterfinal round, and they came back and ended up winning that game. So, I mean, they can they're never out of a game. The problem is they don't play a lot of defense at all, and teams that don't play a lot of defense end up losing in championships more often than not. And when I say they don't play a lot of defense, I'm talking their goalie has given up. Granted, their goalie, uh, Noah Johnson, has a 55% save percentage, but he's given up 145 goals. That's a lot of goals to give up. So luckily for Lenore Ryan, they score a lot of goals, but Frank Delia on the other side here for Lemoyne gives up 58%. And then the, the the backup, Riley Smith, who gets some time every once in a while, 57%. So both teams are capable in cage, but one team gives up a lot more offensive chances and a lot more offensive looks than Lemoyne. Lemoyne's defensively a much better team than Lenore Ryan. Both of them can fill it up. You can't even make the argument that Lenore Ryan is a better offensive team because Lemoyne's top scores, you know, points per game are right up there with them. So that's going to be key. I mean, Lemoyne has Matt Hutchings, uh, over 17 games play or no 17 goals, 21 assists. So yeah, I mean, they don't score as many points, but in turn, you know, they've played three less games. I was looking at their shots earlier when I was looking at like 68, 63, I was like, Oh, they score. So, I mean, the Lemoyne guys shot totals are below the, the point totals of, uh, Lenore Ryan. But I still I still overall like Lemoyne in this. I, I think that they're defensively going to be able to hold back Lenore Ryan enough and then offensively they're gonna get their looks and they're gonna put points up and they'll score all the way down their roster to boot as they as you start getting in here. You just see a much more balanced team overall, a team that's going to control the ball a little bit more. At the face off dot, both teams are capable. Uh we've got uh uh Sam Curry for Lemoyne, 60% winner here uh, Nico Mataya, uh, 56%. He takes, you know, it's kind of second draws here. And then Zach Badeau for Lenore Ryan and elite faceoff guy guys. Well, 62%. So, I mean that the, the possession battle is going to be kind of a wash and maybe I don't know my shit because I have, I've, I've seen Lenore Ryan play twice and I've only seen LeMoyne play once and LeMoyne looked really good in the game. I saw them play very controlled overall, just a really good team. So I could be totally speaking out of, out of turn here. I'm going to pick LeMoyne to win this game. I'm going to go with the experience over the team that's there for the first time. And then if we go uh, D3, we've got RIT against Salisbury. Now, once again, Salisbury's got to be the favorite in this one, I presume. Uh, RIT 13-0, Salisbury 17-1. They haven't played like opponents, so it's it's tough to match them up that way overall. Uh, but, but RIT and Salisbury both are elite offensive teams, so it's really going to come down to the defense faceoff dot goalie battle here. And Brett Malamphy for uh, the Seagulls for Salisbury. Uh, he's won 70 per- 74% of his draws. Uh, Salisbury is much better at the faceoff dot overall than R-I- RIT has been. I almost said RPI than RIT has been. And then in cage. Both are pretty solid. Hair and Ellis. Uh, Hair RIT's keeper, fifty-five percent overall, and Ellis Salisbury's keeper, fifty-six percent overall. And this one, I'm just going. I listen. In this one, I want RIT to win, and I guess it doesn't matter. Nobody cares what I predict, so I'm picking RIT, baby. We're going with RIT in this one because I want RIT to win because I'm an upstate New York guy. I uh, just have. I, I listen. I love Salisbury. When I was a kid, Salisbury State back in the day, uh, dominated D three and I got, you know, that was Sunday watching the D2 and the D3 finals was one of the highlights of Memorial Day weekend. And you'd always watch Salisbury play somebody. I remember one that stuck in my mind was Salisbury and Nazareth in like 93, I think it was, with Uh, Kaufman trashing on everybody for Salisbury. So I'm going to pick RIT, though. I'm going to say RIT is going to be hungry. Weird COVID season here. Saw some odd stuff. Both teams have have been capable of playing from behind and coming back. Salisbury was down, I think, in the semis against uh, Christopher Newport. I think they were down 5-1 at the end of the first quarter and then came back and murked him after that. So you know, don't get worried if one of the teams goes up early. Both of these teams offensively are like lightning and can score goals in punches. So I'm going to pick RIT. Uh, My heart was telling me to go with, actually my brain was telling me to go with Salisbury, but I'm picking RIT because I want to see the Tigers win. And let's just see if I can get one right here. So that's it, man. That's this episode. It's going to be weird. I'm not going to put out the I'm not going to put anything out in between the semifinals and the finals this weekend. I'm going to be traveling in between, so I'm going to watch Saturday's games. I'm going to write them up while I'm traveling. I'm going to watch Monday's game. I'm going to write that up while I'm traveling that last day and expect a show to come out Tuesday morning recapping the semifinals and the finals together is what we're going to do. So it's Tuesday morning is going to be the wrap-up show for the season to talk about that last game. And then we'll move on to the PLL right after that. So I'm off. I'm going to get my butt off to work here. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Go to laxfactor.com. Get some swag. Support us. Like, subscribe, share, all that crap. That is all. Hoost is out.